Hello everyone and welcome back to Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always and I am delighted to have back with me, unfortunately this time just via phone. I'm still in Michigan and she is still in Indianapolis. But my co-host for this podcast, Hannah Raffitt, thanks as always for joining. Welcome back. How are things going? I am doing well. What's uh, what's new? Oh, um, just you know, some more quarantine, COVID life. Just lots of um, free time and figuring out what life is gonna look like. So sounds like sounds like pretty much everybody at the moment. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's pretty existential right now. But, yeah, yeah, it's good. I was thinking about the other day. If you think about like. A year ago, we're recording this. We happened to record this on July fourth. I don't. I, I don't remember what I did on July fourth a year ago, but I imagine it was totally different from what I'll be doing this year. But I also just like thinking about what could July fourth look like next year. Yeah, you know. And now it feels really weird to not be in the hot sun working. I we typically. I typically for the past 4th of July have been working our 4th of July concerts. Um, so it's really strange to not be out at Connor Prairie at something on the Prairie, um, or even seeing, I'm not seeing family for 4th of July. So yeah. Right. No, it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, yeah. but here's my hope year from now, July 4th, we can all celebrate outside. Maybe. I can't, I can't wait. I'm actually, really sad to not be having any fireworks which just seems like okay a, a year ago I was like fireworks are terrible for the environment and they scare birds and animals and now I'm like oh I could use a little bit of fireworks and I think <laughs> probably like the COVID stuff I like I need some sort of dose of exuberance and happiness just for like five minutes my guess my guess is that there will be fireworks nonetheless so I, I bet you can look outside yeah, but let's hope, you know, here's the hoping that a year from now, we've got, maybe we've got a little different leadership in, uh, in this oh, country, yeah. maybe we've got a little, uh, maybe we'll have a new, renewed and slightly refined sense of uh, what 4th of July actually means, maybe yeah. we'll have, it'll be a, it'll be a good little uh, year for us to uh, grow as a... Fingers crossed. Yeah, we can't jinx it at this point. Well, in any case, let's get to our topic at hand today, which is today we're going to be talking about how to listen to modern music and how to listen to modern music. Uh, the, the quick answer is there's no one right way. That's kind of a, a loaded rhetorical question in and of itself. But I want to start actually by playing you two clips, Hannah, playing our listeners two clips. And I just want our listeners, as I ask our listeners always to do on this podcast, to listen carefully and 
try to figure out what uh, what it is about these two clips that make them feel so different. That make one makes one feel very much one way and one feel very much another way. So here are those two clips. The first one, this is a, uh, I'm not even gonna tell you who the composer is, but here's our clip number one. So there was our first clip, and now here is our second clip. So, Hannah, just initial reactions on the uh, on those two clips. Um. Yeah. I mean, so the the second clip I had heard before because you sent it to me and prepped for this uh, episode, and I think pairing the two is so much more digestible of the second piece, the Schoenberg. I think the, when I listened to it this, for the first time without knowing anything about it um, and with fresh ears, I think it's only a minute long, so you have to focus. And um, tr it's tricky to try to follow like the listening techniques that we established at the beginning of this podcast, the first four episodes. But I think when I first listened to it for the first time, and then as well for the second time, I tried to um, separate the uh, hands on the piano between right and left and maybe like uh, connect the two with any sort of like storyline or something like that. But then now that I had listened to the Bach with the Schoenberg, it, you can tell, I don't, I, and I can't really describe like why I can tell that the Schoenberg is like based off the Bach. It start, it definitely like starts up in this high place the way that the Bach does. It's as if it's like, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's like a modern take on the classic as if like you're at the MoMA and there's like two pieces and one's a, you know, classical and then one's a contemporary. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you have hit on why I chose these two clips. It turns out that, so as you mentioned, we heard the second one is a, a piece by Schoenberg, his piano suite. The first one was a Bach keyboard suite. And both of these movements are called gavats, which are, a gavat was a Baroque dance. It usually starts with some sort of figure like you heard right at the very beginning. It's in a nice duple meter. It's kind of an upbeat style of dance. And so I'm glad that you picked up on the fact that these two are in some way related. And what I want to talk about today on this episode really is how they're related and how this relates to us listening to modern music. Because I think what you said about your original hearing of this piece is probably what a lot of people would feel when they heard, heard this Schoenberg for the first time. 
it just kind of happens and you're like, what, what just happened? It made no sense. Totally confusing. And the reason for that, and also the reason why I think you heard a lot of similarities is that so much of modernism, this is going to be kind of the, the general thesis of the day, but that modernism in so many ways is about taking away facets of art, any kind of art, music, dance, whatever, that we are familiar with. Taking those away or abstracting them to make the experience as a listener potentially more challenging, but also certainly more abstracted and thus a different style avenue towards meaning, okay? But, and we can think about that in tons of different genres of art. You think about visual art, you look at a painting by Jackson Pollock. In Jackson Pollock, there are a lot of things that we are still familiar with. You know, it's on a canvas, it's paint on canvas, so the form is something that we're very familiar with. It has color, we're very familiar with that. But the kind of organization and logic that goes into constructing a lot of realistic paintings has been taken away, or it's been abstracted. If it's Picasso, it's we have color, we have a lot of form a lot of the time, but the shape that we're familiar with has largely been ex- abstracted. Suddenly a lot of things are cubes when they, they wouldn't be. So we've taken away this parameter of shape. If you've ever seen one of those Mark Rothko paintings, these kind of blobs of color, again, they, st- they have a lot of color, but the shape or the kind of uh, depictions of actual figures, that's what's been taken away for us. If we think about literature, you have, you know, modernist writers like James Joyce or something who are kind of stream of consciousness. They've taken away our concept of sentence structure and like logical organization of thoughts. If it's someone like Samuel Beckett or something who writes like absurdist type theater, they've taken away, it's still a play, it's still in English, they have sentences and all this stuff, but they've taken away our concept of rationality or logic because it's, it's largely absurd. And so that's, so a lot of modernism can be seen as taking away facets that we're comfortable with. And so when, in, in the case of music, we have to ask ourselves, so what do we do? That's what this episode is about. What do we do when we're faced with a piece of modern music? And what I'm going to ask you to do on our podcast here, Hannah, and our listeners as well, in addition to kind of, and this is going to relate, in in a way this will be a review of our techniques on this podcast, because I think the four techniques that you mentioned, which are our first four episodes, can be really valuable in listening to modern music. They're designed for listening to any kind of music. But I think what's really important is to listen to modern music in the frame of mind of what can I relate to? What parameters do I identify or can I hear that makes sense to me as opposed to what sounds foreign? So I'm curious, I imagine Hannah, 
What when you listened to the Schoenberg for the first time, I imagine you in, it almost immediately thought to yourself like, or you were drawn to what sounds foreign or jarring or weird. And can you can you talk just a tiny bit about? Do you have any idea, or did you have any sense of what, if you did feel thrown off, what you felt like threw you off? Um, I mean, def- there's definitely not a through line to grasp for you. It's not like any sort of like simple song that has a beginning, middle, and end that's obvious. I mean, okay, technically it has a beginning, middle, and end, but it's not. I don't have like the vocabulary as I'm not a musician to be able to say exactly like what's going on, but it does from the first initial listen sound random. Yeah. Right. And I think, so part of the key is a lot of our listeners who are non-musicians are not necessarily going to have the vocabulary to verbalize all this kind of stuff. And that's okay. Yeah. We'll give you some vocabulary on this podcast, but also just as good is just kind of identifying. So what you've identified there, if we put it in musical terms, which we don't need to do, but it does, the music really leaps around and it's very hard to distinguish a melody that you know, has a, a, a standard phrase structure. And it's very hard to hear. It sounds like it's random because there are all these leaps all over the place and it's a quick succession of ideas. And it's not a melody like we're used to that stays close together. We, we talked about that in our episode on melody. And I also imagine, if I can suggest one other one, maybe adding to your sense of randomness was the fact that this is atonal music. And so, whereas the Bach has a key and it sounds harmonious, this sounds not harmonious, right? So I, I imagine that that also caused some, some challenges. And so that is, in, in the case of this Schoenberg, we've stripped away two very important elements of what we generally gravitate towards. Maybe the two most important, that sense of tonality or like harmoniousness, a key, and digestible melody. But I'm curious, again, we don't need any musical terms, but just to go back to our Schoenberg and Bach for a sec, you felt like there was a similarity between the two pieces. And I'm curious now, especially in the context of knowing these are dances, and they're both these gavotte movements. Can you put your finger on what it was that you felt was similar at all? Yeah, I mean, as soon as you played it just now while we're recording, it becomes very clear, I think, it's the first opening notes mirror what's going on in the Bach in a sense where, oh, that progression Mm -hmm. sounds exactly the same as the Bach. It's as if... Um, I've been trying to think of like an artistic example, but it's as if if, like it's one of those projections that are like layered and you just take away the layerings and then you've got this Schoenberg piece where it's like, okay, this uh, artwork still exists, but it's 
just been stripped down to the essential. Yeah, no, and I think that's a good point. And so, like you said, there's a there's a structure there that relates to the Bach. And so what I want us to do, and for me that has to do with like the rhythm, a gavat rhythm kind of goes yum bum bong, yum bum bong. And the Schoenberg, it's a little hard to hear, but it very much has that same style of rhythm. It is actually pretty based on a pulse, so it stays in tempo. It might be hard to hear sometimes, but there are a lot of elements of the Schoenberg that relate a lot to that, that Bach piece. It's just we're, we're drawn to the elements that don't. So again, what I want us to do when we're trying to listen to modern music is to try to think not so much about what sounds foreign, but what we can relate to. And here's the other thing before we dive into all of our examples, and Hannah, you, you do this little exercise with us. Here's the other thing that instantly I feel like is going to happen when you listen to modern music. Because you hear something that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I think our gut reaction as humans, as uh, this is a product of, we've talked about it on this podcast before, that uh, of kind of fine art and the idea that art carries meaning. You hear something that doesn't make sense and you immediately try to ask yourself, okay, but what does that mean? What does that mean? What is he trying to say? Because clearly he wouldn't, uh, he or she would not, like in the case of Schoenberg, he wouldn't uh, write something that sounds like that if he didn't have something that he meant or that, you know, he was really trying to say some profound statement. And I want us to get away from that. Our techniques on this podcast, we really try to get away from that from the beginning. We're not trying to ask what that means because the idea is if we listen carefully, if we apply the techniques, if we build a kind of fluency of listening, we will figure out what stuff means through our kind of fluency of listening. And we're not just going to be, and it's not going to be this kind of guessing game of, oh, what does that mean? I think he was commenting on, you know, post World War I society and a fractured political climate, and that's why he wrote this atonal music. Let's really try to stay away from that, and let's listen to what's actually there. Schoenberg himself, I was reading an article from Schoenberg the other day, and he was talking about the fact that composers, if they're true artists, really write for themselves. And so if you're a cerebral composer who likes thinking about the organization of music, as Schoenberg was, you'll write cerebral music. And so I think it's very legitimate to say, okay, like for Schoenberg, it's not necessarily the case that he, he was trying to encode some incredible meaning in this music. He was interested in how to create atonal music through his 12-tone system that sounded like Baroque music but was totally stripped of tonality. And so again, we're trying to get away from that a little bit. Don't ask what does this mean right off the bat? Just listen, listen attentively, as we always try to do on this podcast, and gravitate towards those elements that you can relate to. And then just apply our techniques. And if you want a review of the techniques, you can go back to the first four episodes. But Hannah, that's what I'm going to ask you to do now. So we've got a lot of different pieces of modern music. And I want to ask you to try to Listen to, if you can do two for one, that would be excellent. 
And I, I have very much faith in your listening ability that you can handle both of these. And our listeners, too, if they want to pause and go back and listen to each clip twice, that's great. But I want you to do two things at once because music goes fast and we have to really be alert. So I want you to listen to these clips and I have given them to you to prepare. And so one thing about all music is it's always made easier if you listen multiple times. But I want you to try to figure out what you can relate to in these clips. And then once you've identified that, let's say it's melody then really focus on that and apply one of our techniques. And so try to hear a melodic idea and come up with a signifier or try to hear a group of melodic ideas and attach a signifier to them. But the first step is to identify what we can relate to. And so if you can only do one, you start with that and then start applying the techniques. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. And I want to, let me just quickly review let me give you a few possibilities and our listeners a few possibilities for what you might be able to relate to. Because again, not necessary to have this musical terminology, but I think if I lay it out, then maybe in a list, then maybe it'll be a little easier just to think about some of the things that exist in music. So we've got many elements that we could relate to. We've got something like melody. We all know what melody is. It's the, the tune that you hum along to. So if there's a real like, nice tune that is catchy and sticks in your head that could be something that we could relate to there's harmony we've done an episode on harmony that's kind of the adjective to the melody it's these chords that give these specific colors to different passages of music there's rhythm that's the beat the pulse what you would tap your foot to so the music might have kind of a driving rhythm there's the tempo. So if there's a steady tempo, that kind of has to do with rhythm, but that's something we can relate to of like, you know, this is staying, it's like a march. It just keeps going in the same tempo versus something that fluctuates all over the place. There's contour in music. And so if there are contours that we hear that sound familiar, those could certainly be something that we relate to. There's register you pointed to register in the Schoenberg clip that it kind of jumps all over the place from high to low and we're kind of more familiar with things that stay generally in the same place there's musical ideas so some music has really logical ideas that are followed by pauses basically so a lot of stuff that we could grab onto but Hannah we're going to play some of these clips and for each of these clips I want you to Try to identify something that you feel like you can relate to. And then if you want to apply our technique to that thing, that's great. And again, no musical terminology needed. If you want to, all the better. But really, I'm just looking for you to describe what it feels like you can relate to in these pieces. Good? Yeah, good. All right, let's start with the first one. So here is our, our first clip. Thank you. 
All right. So there was our first one. What What did you come up with for me on that one? Um, rhythm. Rhythm. Excellent. Excellent. So you felt. What did you? What What did the rhythm do for it's you? It's like yeah. It's in like a one two three four beat. It's like one two three four one two three four one two three four one two three four. And for the signifier, I don't know if you've ever taken like a cycling class, but there's there's like a techno almost hypnotic beat. First of all, I love this piece. But um, it's got like this techno hypnotic sort of feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> During this like clip, I could just like see some sort of like soul cycle instructor like ramping everyone up because there is like midway through this clip, it intensifies and it's about to like take off almost. Yeah. I can see the soul cycle instructors saying like, get on your bikes and ride. I really like that actually. I mean, it's and I, it's a great. I mean, it's that's that's perfect. That's exactly what I've asked you to do. I think the rhythm is an excellent identification, and I think there's actually a lot in this clip that we can relate to. What what it doesn't really have is any melody, right? Because it's just it's just these notes that are kind of going in circles, and there's no melody on top of it. But it does have a harmony that changes very slowly. We heard a couple key moments when it feels like it warms up or it cools down but the rhythm is the most important thing and I love the soul cycle idea because it feels like it's almost spinning and so great first one I again what we don't want to do here is this is this minimalistic piece Akhenaten an opera by Philip Glass and right now we don't want to ask ourselves oh why why is he writing this music that repeats over and over and over again is this some nihilistic take on the state of human existence that we're just like stuck in some endless loop. Not none of that. None of that. We're just going to listen to these pieces because we'd be inclined to do that sometimes, I think, because it's, it's weird in a way. This is, you don't expect to just hear the same thing over and over and over again. But like you said, I like the word hypnotic as well. That's, I think, part of what's meant to, to be evoked here. So here's our next clip. Excellent job. Here's our next one, and again, we're listening for what we can identify and give it a signifier. So that's a tricky one. Any thoughts on anything that you feel like you can identify there? I mean, from the listening, it sounds like they're passing around like a musical idea through the um, different families of the orchestra. It's like da 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 da, or something like something along those lines. It's going from. It sounds as if it's going from the trombones, and then it ends at that clip with the woodwinds. I could be completely wrong. No, but. that's, you're actually, you're not only right, but that's, you've done an incredible job in identifying, I think, maybe the only thing that we can grab onto here, which is the presence of a idea that's getting repeated and passed around very chaotically. This is a piece by Ludislavski, and 
is cello concerto. The reason why I chose this is because here a lot of things have been intentionally randomized. So the tempo, the rhythm, um, these are things that are up to the per each performer and they're supposed to be played randomly. And so this passage has no tempo, it has no rhythm. It's very chaotic in that way. It's what's called aleatoric music that has randomness introduced into it. And so, of course, like a lot of it sounds like this jumbled, chaotic mess. But what is going on, what we can relate to, is there's an idea that's getting played over and over and passed among instruments. So excellent job. And then give me a... In, in keeping with that kind of idea and hearing that passed around in that chaotic manner, did you have any sort of signifier for this passage? Yeah, I think just off, like, the top of my head, it's like a messy house. <laughs> and it's like each room of the house is just... It's like a hoarder's house. I like it. I like it. It does... I, I like, you know... We've got a little bit of... Uh, thankfully... Uh, you you know you've seen my apartment many times. I like to keep it. I like to keep it lean. So that is not. It's messy, but it's not a hoarder's place. So I'm maybe halfway between. Um, yours is very clean. So this this does not. You you don't you don't identify with this Ludoslavsky piece too much because you're a you're you've got a clean and nicely manicured apartment. <laughs> proud of you and I think a lot of our listeners hopefully are in the same spot so I'm I'm a, a and our listeners should pat themselves on the back from time to time because this is tricky stuff so so way to go and it takes time I mean it just it just takes a little bit of commitment but you know what it's so rewarding too so for sure thanks for the pot. I'm really appreciating all of this right now in this moment I love it I love it well let's keep going let's see if you can keep your your perfect run here going so here's the next piece that we have. This one, I hope, will be a little easier. So I'm curious your thoughts on uh, on that one. Um, I would say tempo, but maybe also 
harmony as well. Just the accompaniment to the piano seems very harmonious. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think. Yeah, the the piano, the one, two, three, one, two, three. It's, oh God, this piece is gorgeous. It's it's my favorite of the list that you sent me. Nice. Yeah, but I, I really like this piece. This is by Arvo Part. It's called Spiegel im Spiegel. Um, which means like mirror in mirror. The reason why it's called that is because actually if you keep listening, we heard a tiny bit of that, but there's this rising figure that we heard in the cello and then a falling figure and the whole piece is this mirror on itself. So everything revolves around this one note and everything that goes up also comes down. It's a cool idea, but like I I think you grabbed onto some important things. The harmony certainly it's, it's very slow moving and simple, but it's changing. And that's one thing that we notice. And also it's, it's a steady tempo. It's not really the same rhythmic drive that the glass, the Philip glass had. It's a very different style of mesmerizing tempo, but you know, I think here what we're kind of missing in a way is some sort of melody. There are these two notes played by the cello, but it's not a real melody that we're used to. And the abstraction in this piece comes from just its slowness and in a way its simplicity. It feels like basically nothing is happening. But I'm curious, did you come up with a a signifier of any kind for this like pul- pulsating tempo? Yeah, I mean, I am about to almost steal it, but I would say it's like waves on a beach. Um, though I say that I'm stealing it because when I was first listening to it, I loved, just as like a disclosure, I loved reading comments on like YouTube. Oh, interesting. um, When I was listening to this piece, I was like scrolling through to just see what people were saying. Uh And there was like a gorgeous post that someone wrote that if I could just read it very quickly. Sure. This guy, Alex D wrote, um, my wife and I, have some discs of Arvo part and we sometimes listen to them while driving. One day we stopped at a church in front of the sea while this piece was playing. I couldn't stop the car, just stop the engine, but let the music play. Something was happening. The music, the movement of the waves, the light, the moment, us, everything was connected in the second. And we kept listening to the music without a word. It's beautiful how none of us had to talk. We just stopped everything at the same moment and stayed silent. It was almost religious. I think I was in, I think it was in some way, um, or we can call it an aesthetic moment. I just think if for the listener, like go after this podcast, go and sit for 10 minutes and listen to this piece. It's so (laughs) beautiful. It's like cleansing and meditative. So when I say like waves, it's very, it's almost like baptismal. It's very cleansing. I like it. Well, listen, good work, Alex. B or D or whatever that was you know he's a poet and he doesn't even know it as they say yeah all right well awesome there you go so that's Arvo part one more for you here last one and then we'll uh we'll wrap it up but here's here's our last uh modern clip of today
All right. So thoughts on that last one? I think that one is the trickiest for this, for what I'm supposed to relate to the trickiest for me. Um, it's so the energy of it is so intense, but so enjoyable. It's, it's almost tricky to listen to like the Scharnberg, but, um, on my like second listen, the, the solo violin yeah, and accepting that as like a constant and then making note of like anything in the background, the orchestra sounds to be like constantly, at least the strings are like constantly plucking. Um, so I think like a lot of it could be, I'm just going to take like a wild guess and say rhythm. Um, but yeah. it's all distributed individually amongst the families in the orchestra. Yeah, I mean, there's listen. First of all, there's there's no right answer. I'm yeah. I'm actually I'm I'm surprised that uh, you found this one harder than like the Ludoslavsky, for example. For me, the Ludoslavsky would be more tricky, and definitely the Schoenberg. But I think that just speaks to also how different people relate to these different pieces. For me. The Higdon, this piece by Jennifer Higdon, her violin concerto, this is the last movement. What I find very relatable off the bat is it almost has this pop, funk mm. rhythm. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't have the same... The melody seems kind of chaotic and all over the place, but you hear a lot of these like... Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. And I very much relate to this kind of, and I think you mentioned it, it's the rhythm, but it's this kind of driving, driving, pushing forward rhythm that is very 20th, 21st century pop funk based yeah. in a way. Um, and so that one for me is in a way I, I, I just gravitate towards, towards my knowledge or my, my background feeling of of what you hear on the radio a lot of the time. Did you did you come up with a signifier of any sorts for, for this one? Um, it sounds, yes, I guess it sounds very, um, I mean, it's, it's modern. Yeah. Something about it makes me think of, like, Pioneer Racers, which is, <laughs> I don't know why I just came up with that, but I think it, it, sound, it sounds just very, um, purposeful but almost in like a not a frantic way but there's lots of energy in life that you've got to go stake your claim yeah i like it what did you say pioneer racers pioneer races what is that it's just like 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 homestead races like back in the 1800s when you would go and stake your claim on land interesting man that is see this is part of the reason why i like having you on the podcast i don't think anyone else could come up with such (laughs) vivid imagery when listening to you are an expert at at pulling these things out of your hat so i'm impressed excellent work so yeah so yeah there's an eagerness to it i think that comes from this driving tempo and rhythm so in any case great job hannah and that's that's the idea of this particular episode on on kind of some ways to approach listening to to modern music is I want our listeners, you know, this, I think this happens to people a lot. You go to a concert and there's a piece that you've, you've never heard before. And a lot of times, 
you know, for more experienced listeners even, a lot of times the reason why you've never heard it is because it's more modern or it's a little more niche. If it's a world premiere, of course, you've never heard it before. And instead of, I think the two biggest roadblocks that people face when they listen to modern music are, why does this sound so weird or foreign or whatever? And what does this mean? Asking those two questions. And I think if you just get past asking those two questions and you instead look at what can I relate to here? Because you, you get hit with something like the Schoenberg, the, very, the thing that we played at the very beginning. And at least for me, almost immediately, that's what the music is meant to do in a way. You get jarred and you're in this space of disorientation. And you, out of that space, you try to ask, okay, clearly there's a reason why this composer is disorienting me. Why? What does this mean? And instead, you know, embrace the abstraction that's there and allow it to direct your attention to the things that you can glom onto. You don't have to ignore that abstraction, but look for the things that you, you do relate to, that you do find familiar, and start to clue in on those. You know, I, I was thinking about, this reminds me of, I was talking last night with my mom, who has been unbelievably impressive over the course of this quarantine. I've been incredibly lucky to get to eat her food pretty much every day for the last three months. And we are vegetarian. I've been eating like mostly this plant-based diet, as you know, Hannah. Um, and, uh, that's like very restrictive on someone's ability to cook, of course, but she has made like pretty much a new dish every single night during this quarantine. You know, she likes experimenting. It's, and I think that that's actually, I was thinking about it and I was saying, you know, if you're just Googling like good recipes, you can make anything, you can make meat, whatever. At least it's the case with me. I make the same two things all the time. You know, it's like tacos and pasta. That's all I will ever make. But if if you have these restrictions and you have to, those restrictions actually force you to be creative, then suddenly you go, okay, plant-based recipes with eggplant because we have that. Suddenly you've got like, some constraints and out of those constraints comes an enormous amount of creativity. And I think it's, that's what the, the burden is on the listener in listening to modern music is to be creative in your listening because the composer is intentionally placing some of these restraints or abstractions on you. And it gives you actually more opportunity for interpretation and then kind of these epiphanous moments of, of kind of starting to realize what this music is all about. But I don't think we get there through asking, what does this mean? I don't think we get there by shutting down because it's so foreign. So that's just a little, uh, a little foray into the world of modern music and how to approach listening to some of this stuff. If you're there for the first time, also, as Hannah mentioned, it always helps to listen to it a few times because modern music tends to be denser not all the time as we've seen, but, but it often is denser. And so if you can listen a few times, that will only help 
the process. So Hannah, I want to thank you for, for joining us as always. Any uh, parting thoughts for our, our listeners? Any fun activities or ways that you've been uh, occupying your time during, during COVID-19? Springsteen fan. I like that choice. I, uh, the only, <laughs> this is, this is, I'm going to disclose how cool I am to our audience right here, but the only concert, live concert that was not classical that I went to in my entire childhood up to, up through college was a Bruce Springsteen concert. So oh there you go. Not a big non-classical concert goer, to be honest, but yeah, Fourth of July, gonna be grilling some plant-based burgers. Is the is the plan? Some Beyond Meat, um, and reflecting a little bit on the decline of American exceptionalism. I think that's my plan for the Fourth of July. But Big day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I hate to leave it on a. Uh, I'm, I'm, There's still lots of things to celebrate. Yes. Yeah. Yes, history and these recent weeks and months is re- revealing a lot of stuff yeah. that we have been talking about a long, long time ago. But there's still a lot to celebrate. So I like that. I'm, yeah. I'm going to take an optimistic take. You mentioned that you're reading a lot. I, I, for some reason, decided to reread 1984 over the course of oh. this break. Don't recommend it. It's too real. No? It's too is real. It too real? It's I, like, I have it. I, I think I stole... Yeah, I stole a copy from my high school when we read it. Sorry, Mr. Fry. Um, that's very that's very Orwellian of you in the first place, to steal a copy of 1984. I like it, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool stuff in high yeah. school. Well, Maybe I won't read it. The, I, would, I would give it a few years, because it's, uh, it's all too real at the moment. But in any case... Go listen to some great modern music. Maybe go listen to a little American music on this 4th of July. One one area that undoubtedly there is still plenty of American exceptionalism is in the world of classical music. So thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. As always, we will be back shortly. We've got some more of our drafts coming up, so stay tuned for those. And I hope our listeners are staying healthy, safe, socially distancing on this July 4th, and we will be back soon.